Okay, we are going to start Thunder and Lightning, which I changed to Iron and Lightning, and I'm probably going to change the title again because I don't like it very much. Uh, but we are going to start the audiobook for that, and I'm going to be doing the usual standard where I make some corrections or some thoughts for a rewrite during the, during the change, and I apologize in advance for the sound of the train and the sound of the traffic because... I live in Tokyo, so that's that's a thing here. Okay, so let us begin. Introduction. My mother never loved me. I know this because she told me, but it's okay. When I was born, I was born with a deformed leg. They twisted my spine and made me a cripple. My mother was beautiful, so beautiful that she made the whole world more beautiful just by being in it. I didn't. She looked at me and saw a freak. So, she left me alone. She gave me to the university at Mydicus. Well, to a boarding school for promising mages. And I was promising. Very promising. And she had money, status, and a strong desire not to see her crippled son. And Mydicus was the greatest city in six realms. I know this because my teacher told me. A metal adept, Kaidi, taught me everything she knew, which was more than enough to capture my interest and attention. Mydicus is a floating city built on islands of clouds and air magic. There's no weather in Mydicus because it is higher than the ionosphere. There's no cold in Mydicus because it's warmed by lightning and air elementals, specially convinced to bring oxygen, heat, and comfort to the city. Uh, so that needs to be changed. There's no weather in Mydicus because the Sky King won't let any in. There's no cold in Mydicus because it's warmed by lightning and air elementals, specially convinced to bring oxygen, heat, and comfort to the city. It's built on cloud islands connected by bridges made of light, hardened by spells into glass, and frozen in infinite colors and limestone pavilions worked by the greatest mages in existence. Human, fae, spirit, other... Sentience from all realms come to it for the ideas, the trade, and the sheer wonder of the city. Anyone of any social status is here. My hometown, the City of Light, Cloud City, Rainbow Bridge. There are so many names for all the hopes that people carry here. But for me, the best part was always the university and the hero. Legends about the hero were everywhere. The time the Sky King destroyed a Hydra by himself. The time the Sky King created the Great Gate. The time the Sky King defeated Hyperion. The time the Sky King turned back the sun from the land without winter. So many. I love them. And this was his city. My city. My university was his. The hero was something like a mayor, dean, and king all rolled up into one. His magic was the one that held the most complex spells together. His strength was what poured into the university to keep the city aloft. It was his strength that bound the elementals to the mages here. No one knew his real name or where he had come from, but we all called him Thunder and waited for his next adventure. With my broken leg, I was more academic than adventurer. Fire and metal took up my life. The intricate play of spells from all the planes made my world so much larger and more accessible than a boy with a deformed leg could ever dream possible. And for many years, I was happy, safe at university learning with my teachers. One day, teacher Kaidi told me it was time to take my adept test. 
She was excited and proud. I was excited and proud. I wanted to do something completely new, something to really earn my place at the great city, maybe even catch the eye of the master himself. I wanted to show everyone that metal wasn't just lifeless strength and mindless noise. It could be living, delicate, beautiful, tamed. I tried to grow an iron world tree in the heart of the City of Light. For those of you in the know, this was a tremendously bad idea. Iron is a patient metal, but it only plays nicely with earth and fire. It doesn't like air, it doesn't like limestone, and it certainly doesn't like to be grown. It's stubborn and old and only goes where it's forced or bribed. I tried to combine it with living green magic, and the two hated each other so much. I tried to force the magic, but the elementals fought each other and then turned on me. My teacher tried to separate them, but wasn't strong enough. I tried to separate them. I tried to contain each, but the green magic spun out of control, and my iron wasn't enough to protect me. The Kirin I called to make the tree threw me from the City of Light down, down, down to the base of Mount Etna. I fell for so long, I tried to wrap myself in what little iron I had left, but the Kirin followed me, tearing my armor away as fast as I could build it. I fell for a long time. I thought I would die. Before I hit, an air mage saved my life by cushioning the fall as much as he could, stripping the last of the Kirin away from me, and opening a gate into Mount Etna. He threw me into the heart of the volcano as quickly as he could, driving the Kirin away and trying to blast out the Kirin's magic before it tore away the rest of my leg. Earth elementals filled the holes in my body with iron wire instead of muscles, steel in place of bone, but the green magic refused to leave, a curse for my own pride trying to bend life magic in a way that was so unnatural. It was like an infection. The fall shattered my face, my chest, and my already crippled leg, making me uglier and sadder. For the first time, magic had hurt. It was a hard lesson, but an important one. In the heart of the volcano, I rested and recovered, learned to work fire, and made my first elemental bond with a salamander named Victor, and realized that the air mage who had saved my life was none other than the Sky King of Mytikus, hero of the City of Light. How lucky am I? My name is Faisal Smith of Etna, and my sister made me tell this story. Chapter 1. It was dark when Faisal woke up. It was always dark, though, since he was an early riser. He stretched his good leg as far as it would go under the covers and raised his hands to move his bad leg enough to untangle it and ease the pressure on his back. He let out a little sigh of relief and laid there for a minute, enjoying the quiet. Mount Etna was a busy place, and while he loved the energy of the city, he also loved this moment before the rest of the world woke up. It was also hideously cold out. His workshop was comfortably at the edge of the volcanic heart, so he was protected somewhat, but winter outside was well underway and the cold got to him. Well, cold in comparison to what the island was normally used to and what his stiff bones would tolerate. He rolled the covers off a little and immediately tucked them back over himself. Yep, he thought in disgust, still winter. Burr, who likes this weather? Nothing but body aches and malfunctioning machinery, even if we don't get snow and ice here. He steeled himself and threw the covers off in a burst of determination. I have work to do today, he hummed to himself, as he painfully hauled himself up to stand from his floor mattress. Good work today. He felt that little tickle in the back of his brain that he only got when he was ready to create something, and it felt good. I wonder what it will be today. I haven't felt this way since thunder, but he cut that thought off. 
He hadn't seen Thunder since he'd made him that nice pair of gloves, but that had been years ago. He didn't want to be depressed on such a gorgeous day, and thinking about Thunder always made him moody and savage. Nope, today I believe I'm going to make something really beautiful. He limped over to the wash basin that one of his sister's little water elementals had grown for him and touched the leafy green flower overhanging the tree stump it lived in. Obligingly, a happy trickle came out for him. The little trickle of water came out for him. Bitterly cold, of course. He made a noise and snatched his hands back. Almost immediately, Victor popped into view and spun around the water, warming it for him. Thank you, Victor, he said, smiling at the tiny salamander. None of the elementals actually spoke to him, in words at least, but he'd given them all names. They didn't seem to mind. Victor hovered in midair a moment longer, gnawing on his crimson-blue tail to make sure that the water was warm enough before running up Faithos's arms in his normal good-morning ritual. Victor was one of Faithos's favorite, and he knows it, the little brat, he thought, smiling at the tiny thing currently lighting his hair on fire. Faithos didn't mind. The red curls were always in various stages of being burned off and regrowing anyway, no matter how short he kept it. Maybe that's why Victor keeps trying to burn it off. He's helping me with a haircut? He shooed the little thing away, brushed his teeth, and pulled on his forge gear from the hook over his workshop door. Soft cotton undershirt and pants, tough leather apron, calf boots with metal guards, and thick forearm gloves, just in case he wanted to handle any of the really powerful lava energy today. But those he laid on the prep table for later. For now, he folded up the thin mattress and tucked it into the stone closet at the far end of the room, threw open the door to show he was open for business, and opened every woman window in the workshop with the pole of a single cord near the main entrance. Instantly, pale dawn light from a dozen clerestory windows flooded the lower level and highlighted the upper levels filled with cabinets, supplies, workbooks, and the all and all the thousands of treasures he'd built over his long life. All carefully organized and separated into half a dozen spiraling floors linked with a clever metal winch that cro with crossed thunderbolts on its brass sides. <laughs> Good morning, he said with great satisfaction to the workroom. What shall we build today? His great forge took up the entire north end of the circular room. Its banks and bellows curved around like the stone had been poured into shape and was so deep he couldn't see to the back of it. The other reason he couldn't see to the back of it was because, because it was magical, uh, but it was still very large. Faisto stuck his head into it. His whole chest and back fit, and he leaned his good leg into, onto one knee so he could call into the deepest reaches. He was not a small man, but the ink, inky darkness didn't seem to get any smaller, and he couldn't touch the sides, even in this far. Hello? he called. Is anyone home? He pulled a small bit of ore from his pocket. It showed blue-purple and iridescent, catching the strengthening light from the rest of the room. I'd like more of this substance, please. He placed it in the center of the forge. Instantly, Victor appeared, hovering over the metal sniffing it, or whatever salamanders do with new things. It looked like he sniffed it. Victor sat next to it and then looked at Bastos with what he could only think of was confusion. I know it's new. That's why I need help finding more of it. Isn't it pretty? He picked it up again and rolled it in his hands and closed his eyes to breathe it in. He could taste snow, ice, stars, a hint of aurora in the cold, the feeling of great mountains and harshness with intense beauty. 
I'd like to make something for someone. I feel like giving something away. Maybe someone going through a hard time. He cocked his head as if listening to the oar, though he couldn't tell if it actually said anything. It just felt like the right thing to do. Maybe... Hmm. He felt the pull of shamanic magic, something that called him of shape-shifting, maybe. But the feeling was too far away. There were ingredients or components missing, and he couldn't see what the ore wanted to be yet. Well, I'll just have to find them and figure it out, he said to himself. Victor, more of the ore, please. I think we're making a dream catcher. The words surprised him, which was his favorite part. He loved it when it happened this way. An adventure where he didn't know what was going to be made until it was made itself. It was the closest he'd get to travel, and this was a rare treat. He hadn't worked with ice magic for a long time, or with one of the air and shadow elements ever. Something completely new. A dream catcher. Delightful. Victor was still looking at him, helplessly, and faced with sighed. You need help, then? Fine, yes. His leg was starting to cramp. It was an awkward position, but metal elementals were squirrely, nervous things with changeable tempers. They preferred a comfortable environment, hence he tried to call only in the forge and only with plenty of fire around. A nervous metal meant things broke, exploded, and cut, and he wasn't in the mood for that chaos today. A little soothing fire to make whoever showed up warm and comfortable. He took a deep breath and let out a long, low whistle against his teeth and delicately pricked one of his fingers so a single drop of blood dropped onto the earth floor. The iron in it was strong, and he ran his power through that iron all the way to the plane of metal through the forge gate. Immediately, the forge sprang into life. Heat rolled against his skin, and he closed his eyes against the bellow of hot air and brilliant yellow light that erupted from its edges. He and Victor sighed in mutual relief at the instantaneous warm comfort that the living heat brought them. In the corners of the flames, when he was able to open his eyes without them frying, he could see a tiny molten creature hidden in the back. He hadn't met this one yet. There were only about a dozen elementals that would work with him, so it was easy to keep track. A new elemental, and so shy. I wonder if she'll talk to me. He felt a little excitement. A mage's power was partially defined by how many elementals would work with him and how intelligent or communicative they were. Bastos had always been disappointed that he seemed to have only the smallest and dullest of magical assistants, but the fact that he had any at all was equally surprising. Beggars can't be choosers, after all. Not someone like me. After my accident, I'm surprised any elementals will still tolerate me. Failure that I am. Hello, pretty one, he said, reaching out a hand. Welcome. What's your name, then? The creature flowed out from the corner of flames and solidified into a fairy-like form. Delicate silver features, maybe the height of his thumb. Sharp teeth, big oblong black eyes. Scaly skin, long fingers tipped in delicate claws. It didn't say anything. He tried to stifle his disappointment. He laid his hand down on the forge's surface, taking a sharp inhale as his leg let out a screaming reminder that he had been in this position too long and he needed to sit down soon. At his sharp inhale, the metal figure retreated slightly, but Phaestos continued to smile and reached out his hand again. No need to be frightened, pretty. Can you help me? He waved to the oar and tugged a little at Victor in his mind. Show yourself, please, he thought at the salamander. 
Metal elementals always feel better when one of the fire is around. Victor obligingly popped into view and looped around Phaistos' hand, settling his head on Phaistos' first knuckle. Pretty came closer to pat Victor and shake Phaistos' finger slightly. He was surprised. Was that an actual greeting? Oh my, Pretty must be much more intelligent than most. Victor gave him a baleful stare from his own outreached hand. Yes, yes, I know you can hear me, but if you never talk back, I'll never know how smart you are. Fire turned up its snout and refused to look at him, but the metal, the metal seemed to find that funny. Pretty's facial expression didn't change, but it definitely seemed to relax. The metal picked up the ore, nodded once to Phaistos and once to Victor, and then liquefied back into the flames. The forge abruptly went dark. Phaistos groaned in pain and transferred Victor to his shoulder so he could drag himself out of the forge and into a more comfortable position. Ow, he thought, rubbing his leg and waiting for his back to stop cramping. Ow, ow, ow. Victor hovered over his leg, trying to warm it without lighting it on fire, but quickly gave up and burned Phaistos' hair instead. I must look ridiculous by now, but I suppose he means well. Another whiff of burning hair. Or maybe not. Occupational hazard, I suppose. He thought back to Pretty. And a new friend for this. How interesting. He stretched out as far as he could to grab one of his workbooks and a pencil to record the event. He only got new friends when he was about to do something unusual. They always seemed to know and coordinate who best should help him. So this was shaping up to be a very, very interesting project. Bastos? The call shook him out of his book. He'd gotten Victor to pull his notes from the last ice magic creation they'd done to see if he could find anything on stars. Victor was not a great research assistant, mostly because he kept singeing important passages and occasionally whole books when he got excited. But Faistos had wrapped them all in tough leather, the books, and, well, accidents happen. In one of the few research tomes not on fire, there had been some mention about ice, about a cold forge. Technique that interested him. But the call from his doorway made him blink and refocus. Magda? He stood up too quickly and immediately had to sit down again as his ruined leg refused to work. Magda! He hauled himself back up to stand and limped over to her with a wild, wide smile and ready hug. You're here! I haven't seen you since silence needed that Elfsinian armor. How are you? The slender woman returned his hug enthusiastically. Her long, straight black hair got caught in his apron as he tried to pull back, and they both laughed as she had to disentangle herself from him. For a split second, he was on the bridge of a ship, staring at an infinity of stars in a velvet black darkness. He blinked, and the vision was gone. He held her at arm's length to see her properly. Magda, you look wonderful. Something must have happened. I haven't seen this much of... of... whatever in you since... Silence had her unpleasantness. Magda nodded enthusiastically. Yes, yes, all of us, we feel much better. Spring is back. Aesto stopped and stared at her in amazement. Spring? Magda nodded. Silence is spring. Yes, she's back. But her memory, not so good. Much like mine, we think. Aesto's limped over to one of the great soft chairs near the doorway and waved Magda to the other one. He kept a small visitor area for customers, 
Everything smelled of smoke and metal, which he liked, but he could never tell if other people cared. Magda didn't seem to mind, throwing herself into one and then promptly balancing on the edge of the seat with her usual elegant grace so she could continue in her excitement. Bastos suppressed a spurt of jealousy at her casual movements. Yes, yes, spring is home. Master and mistress have a plan. You see how the world is out of balance? You feel how some things are too strong, others too weak in the world of nature and magic? Master says it is because the veil between realms and the power of the Leviathan is corrupted. She has a plan for a great battle, a great spell to keep them bound and remove the corruption, and spring will help her. Bezos let out a long breath. A corrupted Leviathan, huh? It's a big power. When the great elementals fall, he didn't finish the sentence, but Magda understood. Her face also went serious and quiet. Yes. Then is there something us small mages can do to help? Bastos asked, shaking off the sick thread of fear that had crawled up from his gut. We obviously can't help in the big battle, but maybe there's something smaller we can do. Magda nodded so hard he thought her head would come off. Yes, 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 she said in one breath, and it's not small at all. You are requested to come to Crossroads immediately. We were just going to get Master a new set of weapons, but this year she'd like you to come in person for all three of the brothers. To refit, strengthen, and help them fight. Will you come? Bezos glanced back at his forge and at the new project he could feel spinning in his head, a hint of regret at having to leave it alone. Of course, I mean, I'd do anything for silence and thunder. The rest of the masters. Magda didn't seem to notice the last minute word change. So of course, if silence wants a new kit for everyone, I'd be happy to go. He glanced at his ruined leg and out at the open wood door towards the bustle of Mount Etna. Just, you know I don't get out much. How am I supposed to get there? He glanced to his first floor with his supplies and gear. And I'll need to bring quite a bit of stuff. I know Silence has a nice forge at Crossroads, but I'll need so much. Wouldn't it just be easier to bring people here? Magnus shrugged. The masters arrive in a few days at Crossroads, Elfsinine in three. There are a few of the lesser magi left, the adepts that might appreciate your things and would never be able to get here. Magda then looked out of one of the windows onto the great mountain. I'm not sure if you realize this, Bastos Smith, but your mountain is very scary. Bastos' mouth quirked up and he hobbled to one of the large windows to see what she saw. The island was dominated by a huge volcano reaching thousands of feet into the air. Along the rim, a slim halo of lava pooled while fireworks of pyroclastic explosions fell like confetti onto the top regions. Thick banks of smoke and gas oozed down the sides to lap against the middle portion of the mountain, like a ring of clouds, only blue, green, and black with hints of heat lightning sparking through the mists. Here on the base of the mountain, rugged black obsidian shards stuck up like brutal flowers in the red-brown tephra as a pockmarked lava plain butted up against juniper shrub forests filled with light and bustle along the rough turquoise-blue coastline. Bastos' home city stretched in a great ring along the scrubby forest with thin tendrils out to the coast's port. His forge was at one of those tendrils, right at the border where the forest met the boulder plain at the, foot of, at the root of the volcano, partially underground, where the chemical rain scored the rocks and volcanic glass. He thought it was rather picturesque, but he could see how others may not be so comfortable where the earth moved day and night and there was a city full of fire and water, 
all the time. It resulted in some persona personality conflicts occasionally, okay, more than occasionally, continuously. Right on cue, a deep rumble from somewhere in the earth flexed the stone around them and the mountain shivered, making a cascade of tephra roll towards the forest and strike against the great boulder guardians, shielding the city in a shower of pebbles. And this is why we have earth magi, he said in appreciation. Magda gave him an I told you so look and he chuckled. Yes, I will go to crossroads. He waved to his leg, but I'm not a good traveler. Is there any way I can do this and not be in so much pain that I would rather take death than live in my own body for five more minutes, he thought. But he only said, hurt? Magda nodded enthusiastically and pointed to the forge. Master says that she's discussed it with the earth and she can link your and her forges through the stone. There's a gate she can make if you would like that will send you here and there easily enough. Very thoughtful of silence, Phaestra said quietly, trying not to be afraid of leaving his forge. He traveled so rarely and it usually hurts so much. Thunder is already there, said Magda, trying to be subtle and pretend she wasn't reading his thoughts. I'm sure he would appreciate your help just as much as my master. Phaestra said, trying to make it sound funny and trying not to be upset that literally everyone on the planet seemed to know how he felt about the Sky King. Thunder won't take anything of mine. I doubt he'll even look at me, ugly thing that I am. The last part slipped out unintentionally. Magda opened her mouth as if to respond, but he waved it off. Good grief, that wasn't necessary, was it? So sorry, Magda. No need to talk about it. I just can't keep my feelings to myself, it seems. Never good at lying. Or decent manners, I suppose. Yes, I'd be very happy to help silence and spring, however the masters need. Least we can do, no? She looked at the forge and back at him expectantly. You want to go now? She, he asked in surprise. So quickly? I mean... Victor materialized in his hair, slid down his arm, and leapt into the air to pull the door closed by the little mechanical pull cord Phaestus had rigged, and slipped the locks in place. Huh, said Phaestus, nonplussed. I guess that's all I needed to do then. He limped over to his goodie box, the one where he kept all of his creations that didn't have homes yet and were small enough to fit in a box, and painfully carried it to the forge, sliding it deep into the back. Miss Magda, there's a steel ingot over by you. Would you mind bringing that to me? Magda had to use both hands and a foot to drag the ingot off the work desk and hug the nearly 100-pound block of steel close to her chest to get it to him. Thank you, miss. He held it with one hand while he called Victor to his other one. The little salamander purred happily as the smith poured power into him, turning him from crimson to blue and tucking him underneath the ingot in his other fist. A deep breath, Phaestus closed his eyes and let his power flow from Victor into the ingot, shaping it into a humanoid form in his mind, giving it hands and feet, legs. He released the breath and Victor, holding on to the ingot as it melted and reshaped itself into his new helper. Its new little feet reached to the ground, its arms reached out, and Victor's clever eyes opened in its metal face. Good job, Victor, said Phaestus. I need you to fetch a few things for me figure took off towards the metal winch box. Hey, slow down, Phaestus called after him, and don't light anything on fire. Magda handed him a piece of paper with a smile. Master has a list for you. Phaestus took his eyes off the fire elemental, hoping that he could keep it together for long enough to get everything, and took the paper. 
his eyebrows raised in surprise and gratitude. Silence is very thoughtful and quite well-researched. And that's why she's a master, huh? Magda bobbed her head up and down just as Victor dropped something with a loud clang that made the whole level vibrate. I told you to be careful. Hang up, let me get up there. Send the winch back down, you muppet. Another clang was all that answered him as he shambled clumsily to the winch. Definitely on purpose. Definitely. Thunder woke up screaming again. Fortunately, no one in Mydicus noticed. Enough weird noises came out of his room on a regular basis that the staff didn't worry about it anymore. He lurched up out of bed, drenched in sweat, sheets soaked, his heart hammered in his chest. He was back there, the plane of the immortals. Like he was most nights. He shivered and waited for the phantom pain and sensations to stop. It had taken almost a, almost a thousand years. But he had finally learned to go to sleep. Hmm. But he had finally learned to, learned to finally sleep through most of the night. First, the only thing that would make the nightmares go away was to get as drunk or exhausted as possible. Now, though, drink didn't work, and he was too strong to get exhausted. Sex worked. Most of the time. Though, not in this case. So the Elysian Fields waited for him again and again. As the feeling of getting his body ripped continuously from his dream gradually diminished, he felt tears starting, and he leaned back into his pillow face first to let it out in the hopes that this time he'd finally get to move past it all, that this time he'd finally start to heal. But it was faint hope. Condemned to immortality of nightmares, he thought bitterly, all I want to do is to die, but I can only dream about it. Despair washed over him as he cried into his pillow and left him exhausted and bitter. Someone pounded on his door. Go away, he shouted at Naomi. I'm not going. Master, if you don't go, the storms will tear up the port and the young magi will not get training in their elemental magic today. And you specifically promised the council that you would show up sober and do the thing that only you can do. Sky King. Don't call me that. Thunder mumbled into the pillow, dropping his normal mask in place, seamlessly over the tears and despair. I didn't promise anything. It's the crack of goddamn dawn, and I refuse to be anywhere before noon. He heard a sigh at the door, and then the telltale click of the lock opening. Naomi was a very kind green mage fawn. He had no idea why she had bothered to come work for him. He'd offer her a position as a joke after he'd hurt her feelings a couple years ago, uh, and then she'd just appeared one day, like she believed in him or something. It was horrifying. Her little hooves clipped on the hardwood floors as she made it to his bed. He turned away. No. Up, my lord, it is 12.30. Absolutely not. It cannot be that early. He pulled the disgusting covers over his head, and she made a clucking noise with her tongue as she pulled it away from him. Another nightmare, master? That's three this week. 
We have to get some help for you. Thunder rolled to glare at her. I was having a good time last night and must have just gotten so drunk I pissed myself. Or maybe the girls got sweaty before they left. I don't have nightmares, I keep telling you. Her doe brown eyes were filled with compassion, and it thoroughly annoyed him to be pitied. He hated that look. Master, I heard you screaming, and there were no women here last night. There haven't been any of your special friends for a long time. Are you going to give up lying to me anytime soon, or can I just take for granted that you're going to spew nonsense and stupidity anytime you feel vulnerable? I have no idea what you're talking about. Thunder rolled off the bed and stuck his arms into the robe Naomi offered him with a distinct lack of gratitude. And you're free to get the hell out whenever you want. It's not like I need any help. Another long-suffering sigh from Naomi. Master, as you well know, Mydicus is a fairly important junction between several planes. Without an elder elemental, a master, you, the city will just be a battleground. For whatever wants to destroy something that day. We're also the home of a premier university for many species of magi, and if you let all those people die or be destroyed, we will think very badly of you. Thunder grumped and strode out to the bathroom, leaving the doors open. Naomi politely turned away, but continued talking. And your terrible temper and bad attitude has caused most of the staff to leave anyway, so you don't need to worry about anyone leaving you. It's just me and the storm elementals at this point. That's the way I like it, barked Thunder. The elementals are way easier to deal with than humans. Besides, the house is too damn big and empty anyway. That's because it's supposed to be for a Sky King who actually talks to people and manages things. You know, like an adult with staff and responsibilities, said Naomi, handing Thunder a clean set of clothes when he emerged dressed in the filthy ones he'd ruined yesterday. She gave him a raised eyebrow that made him curse under his breath and strip to put on the new ones. The last immortal that ruled here actually cared about those things. Thunder made mocking motions with his lips and imitated her blathering with his fingers. The more fool he then. Besides, how would you know? God, all you talk is all you do is talk, woman. Nag, nag, nag. He strode down the long white staircase to the first floor of the rather decaying mansion. He noted the wear and dirt, now that she'd pointed out that the staff didn't exist anymore, and he wondered when they'd quit. Probably a while ago, he thought as he dragged his hand along the white marble wall, and it came back brown. Naomi skipped next to him, taking two steps for every one of his. He didn't bother to wait for her. Besides, my lord, you have a population of over 3,000 sentients who rely on you to keep the public services going. The North substation has been acting up lately. The Lightning do not want to work without your power fueling them. And you were too drunk last month to restore the spells. He stopped. She was surprised enough that she bumped into him. Naomi. Master. Go away. But Master, you... He ducked into the kitchen and slammed the door in her face, shouting at her through it. I'll do all of the stupid things for all the stupid reasons. Where's my first appointment? One o'clock at the council. Thank you, Master. Breakfast is waiting for you on the table. He looked over at the staff table. 
Sure enough, bread, meat, cheese, and something that looked green and disgusting, so he was sure Naomi thought it would be good for him. He ignored it. Two hours later, he pillowed his head in his hands as yet another counselor blathered on about something. He'd stopped listening a while ago, and Naomi jabbed him sharply in the thigh. He straightened slightly and tried to pick up on the main gist of the argument. The little snot had been talking so fast he'd tuned him out. Stop talking, he said suddenly, making the man stutter to a limping halt in the middle of his obviously well-prepared speech. Just stop. You want the substation working again, right? That will make you be quiet? The little man looked nervously from him to Naomi, who made encouraging nod smiles to him, and then said, Yes, Master Thunder, we're, we're having a hard time managing the university and the manufacturing sectors in the fire quarter without it. Fine, he growled and strode to the balcony, throwing open the great French doors and wrenching the wind to blast cold air through him and the rest of the council room. He took a deep breath, reaching into that bottomless well of rage and anger that gave him so much power, and rippled space-time, moving the whole council with him, including the building, to shimmer in front of the space station. With one hand, he drew a stabilizing geometry of light to hold the council in perfect stillness, a force paralyzing that he was sure would annoy Naomi, and with the other, he drew power down the lines of his fist and slammed the energy of 10,000 suns into the containment cell there, overflowed it so that light and heat burst out from it in a kaleidoscope of color and radiation that caused the steady elementals housed there to go berserk in joy. Each lightning bathed and rolled around in the multicolored energy like birds splashing in rain puddles, and arcs of sunfire streamed around the frozen counselors, singeing those without magic and earning him another death glare from Naomi. With a snap of his other hand, he dissolved the space back into its original location and released the counselors. Everyone seemed quite terrified of him, as it should be. There, anything else? No, master, said the one that had been responsible for destroying the entirety of his afternoon. He bowed. Thank you, my lord. Thunder shook his head in contempt. Next time, just say what you want. Don't bring all this evidence and business case bullshit. You're wasting my time. Naomi, come. He motioned for her to follow him as he strode out of the room. There was no clippity-clop, however, and when he turned back, she was standing with her arms crossed, thoroughly unamused. Thunder rolled his eyes. Fine. Miss Senwi, will you please accompany me back to the house? He made an exaggerated bowing notion to usher her out of the room. She glared at him, but did condescend to sweep past him up to storm up the hall. Thank you so much for the privilege of your company, Thunder said sarcastically after her, waving dismissively to his counselors. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. I see you're doing good things. that mean I don't have to. Don't call me. Naomi was very displeased as she waited for him near the workroom, tapping her foot, fuming displeased. What now? Thunder asked nonchalantly as he was about to step into the room with all the little baby magi, just waiting for his guidance and wisdom. He hated himself already. God, he hated teaching. All those little ones with so much hope. So much trust in him. It just made him feel like a monster. A hypocritical... Sham. You wanted the substation to work, now it works. He flicked a light switch. Look, all better. You, you insufferable man. She was so angry, her little nose seemed to have turned black from its normal.
Fawn faces weren't terribly expressive, but he could feel her hatred like a physical thing. Why are you bullying your own counselors? They were just trying to keep your city running, you oaf. What is wrong with you? Whoa, 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 slow down there, Naomi. Oaf, insufferable? Those are pretty strong words. Aren't you supposed to respect my seniority and authority? I am the Sky King, after all. He couldn't help the contempt that slipped out at the hated title. I am the most powerful elder elemental in this plane. Doesn't that mean anything to you? I hate all of this so much. I'm so sick of myself, he thought. But he could almost hear her grinding her teeth in frustration, which made him feel better. That is it, Master. We are taking you to a healer. The hell we are. I'm not going anywhere. Besides, you're a healer. He spread his arms out mockingly. Fix me, Senwi, if you can. He threw his voice falsetto and clutched his hands together dramatically. Naomi, please, only you can help me. Only you understand me. Please won't you make me a better man? He dropped the voice. Isn't that what you want me to say? She crossed her arms and narrowed her eyes. You know very well I only heal bodies, not minds, and even I am not dumb enough to think that even Lady Spring herself could fix you, even if she was, even if she was still around. She stopped, considering him deeply. It made him very uncomfortable. He could feel her little healery fingers digging around somewhere inside his head, and it pissed him off. Out. No, she said calmly. There's something here, something with death and control. I can almost find... He twisted his fingers into a shape and drew a barrier pattern around himself in light, a protection spell against her. You didn't have to throw me out, she said a little hurt. I want to help you. You can't do anything productive in this state. You're all... She couldn't find the words, so she substituted a vague hand wave. Twisted somewhere. I know, he hissed at her before going into the workroom. Another opportunity to train another bunch of air and light mages in how to suffer. Whoever says magic is a gift should be shot. Nothing but pain and sorrow, and these poor idiots think it's power. Death is so much easier. Stupid mortals with their stupid lifespans. I hate them so much. Dead hands holding him, tearing out his stomach, his intestines. Vocal cords ripped out. Hunger, just terror and blinding pain in the dark as he tried to scream and couldn't over and over and over again, helpless with all those hands and bodies drowning in his own blood. Great dreamers. Fucking balls. Thunder breathed in gasps, dragging himself out of the nightmare again. Bedclothes soaked, his naked body felt cool against the night air of his empty room. Floor-length French doors were open to the sky, here on the top of the world. Mydicus sat at the very top of Mount Etna, along the great sky islands that moved from earth and air. Below him, he could see the dim sputtering of the angry mountain, but all around was nothing but the clear, clean, vaulting blue indigo sky of the ionosphere. The great crossroads between realms of earth, air, fire, and storm, 
his beautiful city arcing like solid white light bridges to form great buttresses and solid platforms for buildings, people, airships, the city of clouds, the white city, the city of light. Mytikus was beautiful. Run on lightning and air, his vantage from the room's balcony showed a paradise of learning and trade built by the first sky king, the first great immortal, the dreamer. Long passed into madness as a leviathan now, dreamer had handed Mytikus to thunder against his will. Thunder had been the only one powerful enough to take on the mantle when he fell, but neither of them had wanted this. He leaned against the balustrade and held his head in his hands. What am I doing? I don't know how long I can do this. Why am I even still here? We'll find out. know already. I can't do this. His hair was long and fell over his hands, but he couldn't help the tears that slipped out and he hated himself all the more for the weakness. What am I doing? Who am I? He didn't go back to sleep. Couldn't. Not when Ankh's creatures were waiting for him in his nightmares. So Naomi was considerably surprised when he was down in the kitchen at daybreak, fed, watered, and attentive. Good morning, master. She put down her cup of coffee and sat next to him. Are you all right? No, Thunder said quietly. I'm not all right. The nightmares, she said, nodding. The nightmares, he agreed, and maybe some other stuff. Like what? I don't know. He looked at her. No Sky King mask, just helpless confusion. I need help. I need something. Naomi wrapped a hand around his clenched fist on the table. Who? Thunder dropped his head. I don't know. He brought it back up again to look her in the eyes. Help me, and don't tell anyone. She nodded and released his fist. I wouldn't do it. It wouldn't do for the Sky King to have a mental breakdown and lose all the spells up here, he said bitterly. Or, dreamer forbid, I wasn't able to bind the leviathans or close the plane gates or anything else. Dreamer forbid, Naomi agreed quietly. After a moment, she cleared her throat and handed him a small piece of paper. It came for you this morning. Thanatos was here. Thunder unfolded it. He already knew what it said, but he wanted to read it anyway. It read, It's time. He put the paper down on the table and let out a breath, looking at Naomi. Tell the council I'll be unavailable for the next week. My brother has called me. He looked up the ceiling, feeling the weight of despair get heavier. Get heavier. If I fall, the city will fall. There's still no one strong enough to do it alone. Well... Maybe one. But the university mages can't work together well enough to hold the city up without her. He dropped his eyes back to Naomi. But fuck me if I'm going to ask her for help. Dust off the evacuation plans. Get them ready. Tell Minnie that she's on duty. Same drill as last year. He sighed and stared into his mug. Maybe I'll get lucky this time around. Naomi gave a deep sigh and then got up to get him one of the special croissants she always brought for him on Sundays. She put it in front of him and patted his shoulder. 
Try to eat something. I'll let Thanatos know you'll be down in a minute. Chapter 2 Face was hummed to himself as he set up the forge. Silence had a nice place here, though it looked its age and seemed dusty and unused. The master obviously had wide interests and good taste, though it looked like his interests had taken different directions lately. Still, Victor in his, was in his metal handmade form and quite happily moving supplies and tools to all the usual places. They had made Silence's Elfsinian armor many, many times over the years, and both of them knew the drill. Victor even had the book out and hadn't lit it on fire even once today, so Phaestos was reasonably confident they could get in and out easily for this mission. He ran his fingers down his notes again just to be sure they had everything. Let's see, trident for oceans, spear and armor for silence. I'll need the steel and green spellbook and maybe a power boost for ocean to make he sure he can actually hit something. Thunder. His thoughts ground to a halt. Thunder never asked for anything, and no one gave the blessings for him anymore, at least since that nasty business with Kerti a few years ago. Faisal shrugged. It hadn't killed him yet, and the immortal seemed inordinately proud that he never needed anything from anyone and was still the most powerful master on the planet. Well, silence is actually the most powerful. He's the only one that has strength, intelligence, and control. Or Minnie, but Minnie never leaves Mytikus. Ocean can't lead and hates hurting things, and Thunder can't control himself, so Silence has to do the heavy lifting. He put his chin on his hands. Maybe that's important, then. He pulled out his notes from last year. Hurricane always gives Ocean fury, since she can't go with him, but Ocean doesn't seem to know what to do with it. Maybe if we gave him something like foresight or insight, that would help him. He flipped through more spell books until he found the one he wanted. Perfect. Deep Ocean needs to see the future to move all that power around. Let's give him an air spell to temper all that strength with a little flexibility and speed. He made a note in the book with some additional materials. Modification to the trident, not a new weapon. Drummed his fingers against the desk and sat down to give his leg a break. Hmm, and silence. What shall we do for you this year? Silence is all about strategy, control, efficient power use. So we can't make him berserk can't give him more strength, or he'd blow himself in the veil to pieces. Phaestus was stumped. What do you give the greatest mage in the world to make him better? Just as powerful as thunder, but with more control. Just as strong as ocean, but with greater intelligence. Silence can lead, follow, or find new paths all on his own. A flash of memory of the look on Silence's face when he'd told Phaestos Spring was gone and wasn't coming back popped into his mind. Ah, there it is. The Shadow Mage had no hope in his life. His world was completely one of sorrow, stillness, and decay. He was trapped in the earth, trapped with the dead and dying for eternity. I can give him hope, Phaestos thought, for a moment feeling nothing but pity for the great Elder Elemental. Poor thing all alone with nothing but responsibilities and sentience who shove their pain down your throat all the time. The hope spell was a tiny light magic cantrip. Easy. Not even a full working, but Phaestos was under no illusions about his skills. Anything he could offer silence would be a drop in the bucket to her power. The elder mage likely wouldn't even realize that it was there. 
Faisto sighed and wished he had just a little more juice to help in times like this, but the small magics can be just as important as the great ones, he told himself in comfort. He checked his workbooks again. Maybe a little fire passion to get silence riled up? Let her lose control just a little? It's all about how you use what you have, after all. The right power for the right time. All right, then let's get started. Bezos was just starting to get into his rhythm. The feel of his hammer against the metal was ringing in his heart and in the energy of the planes just as much as the physical contact of the anvil. The vibration filled him with joy and he could feel the power flowing through him, clean and pure. The harder he struck the magic, the more it grew in his mind, shaping and reshaping itself into the channels that would become long-term spells, just waiting for the right power to fill them. He was humming, loving the sensation of his muscles flexing against the weight of the metal, but also the weight of the metal energy. Victor flared in front of him and darted toward the door. Eh? What's wrong? He turned to follow the salamander only to see he had a visitor. He immediately released the spells in his mind and dissipated the power, laying his hammer down and banking the flames. Mr. Faisos, can I bother you? The woman said. She looked familiar, but it took him a minute to place her. Mr. Faisos, she said again. Who is that? He pulled his goggles off to see her better. Come in, come in. I need to finish something real quick. Just be a moment. He felt one of the metals getting uppity behind him. He could feel her trying to liquefy out of the breastplate and escape back into the forge. Nope, little one, you must stay put for now. He grabbed his hammer and quickly beat her back into the metal and quenched it, freezing her in place. Now you must stay. We agreed that you would live here for now. So sit, stay, serve the master for a little while. He could feel her grumbling assent and sleepiness and the sparks and flames died down. Good girl, he told her and put down the piece. He took another look at his visitor. Ah, spring queen, I'm so happy to see you. He grabbed her hands, not remembering that his own were still a little on fire. She snatched hers back. He grimaced and dunked them into the quenching oil first, wiping them on his apron afterwards. Sorry, mistress. We all missed you very much, you know. Ah, uh, thank you? She seemed surprised by his informality, which seemed unusual for her. She coughed a little. Listen, I'd like to... Blessing, of course. He clapped his hands and picked up the breastplate again. What excellent timing. The blessing, the blessing, the blessing. I always do the Shadow Master's armor first, you know. He's always so considerate when I come to visit. Always gives me plenty of time and asks for so little. Not like those brute brothers of his. Thunder. Something deep inside him whispered. He choked off that voice. Couldn't plan their way out of a paper bag, those two. He patted her hand. And it's so nice that you're finally going to give a blessing. Master Silence deserves it. Hurricane did a nice job last year, but you know, she also did oceans, and it's never good to have the same kind of magic done twice to the Leviathans. They're much too quick and clever for that. She seemed to be having trouble following him. Yes, well, I agree. Only, you see, I haven't had much time to prepare the spells or anything, and I don't want to hurt the master. He smiled at her. Of course, mistress, this is what I do. Don't fret. He could feel the river Leith on her skin now that he wasn't on fire. Her memories are gone, poor thing. Why people think Leith solves anything is beyond me. No wonder she was having trouble keeping up. You just think of the spells you want, and I'll engrave them into the armor and show you how to put all that power behind them. Well, yes, yeah, see, that's a little bit of a problem. 
problem? She held out a book for him. See, I'm pretty sure that the spell I want is in this book, but I'm also pretty sure I'm going to have to defeat whatever comes out of it, so you see I'm just a little bit nervous about opening it myself. Faistos knew he must be looking at her with a pretty odd expression. He could feel his eyebrows smooshing together in confusion. Spring needed a book to cast spells? The greatest healer in six realms needs a spell book? Like a little mage just starting at university? How much leith did she drink? Did she drown in the stuff? A book. You have to read a book to cast spells. Why? She shrugged. It's just the way it works. She pointed to the book. Bad stuff comes out when I open them, and I'm pretty sure this one's going to suck. He looked at it. It was one of Silence's great workbooks. Hmm, you need me to help you defeat a book. Chewed on his bottom lip. Never had a master ask me that before. Not much of a fighter, you see. He was rather touched that she would ask for his help. It seemed her experience as a mortal had given her a new appreciation for others. Her recent. It was quite encouraging to see in the normally arrogant masters. But you're a great metal mage. Everyone says so. Fire and metal always do what you tell them. He scrunched up his face. Always is such a strong word, miss. But she didn't hear him. It'll be fine. Please help me. I don't want the master to be by herself again this year. Hmm. Faceless clapped his palms together and hobbled over to one of the racks, handing her a whip made of thin, delicate razors set in chains and taking one of his heavy hammers for himself. He caught her disbelieving look. I know, miss. Don't be giving me that look. It's always good to have something sharp or heavy handy, and we are simple fighters here. He gave her a considering look. And you look like a whip would suit you. He stabbed his chin toward the book. Go ahead, open it up, miss. Let's see what we got. He settled into something that he could that could be a stance. And pretended that his leg didn't hurt. Spring closed her eyes, and in the next moment, a brilliant explosion of golden, shimmering light fell into a flower pattern around her and the book. Pretty, Faisto said to himself. So this is her new color. I like it. Not just a green mage, then. Is that some shadow in there? How interesting. I bet your work would look very nice in something like Syrian steel, or... He started, but was cut off. Book opened, and she dropped it. Both of them waited in the quiet. For a moment, nothing happened. Then a slim, purple-black tendril rose smoke-like from the pages. Spring's whip glowed golden bright, and she snapped it out towards the smoke, but nothing happened. Faisto shook his head as the smoke continued to flow, misting upwards into a cloud of deep, deep purple. Nothing physical will touch this thing, he thought, putting down his hammer and turning to his box. Faisto, where are you going? We need... Nah, miss, there's no weapon that can cut through shadow. He drew a small bubble of liquid metal from the bucket behind him with a flick of his fingers, shaped it into a ball before him, and gently pushed it into the expanding cloud. It wasn't one of his friends. No, he was reasonably certain this was a black hole and just wanted to test it. Sure enough, the metal disappeared instantly and the cloud expanded. 
Little silvery specks seem to flow around the smoke, almost like galaxies in the blackness. Don't touch it, miss, whatever you do. He opened his box, trying to think of what to ask it for. We'll need to, to contain it in something, something huge. What do I have that can contain all the universe? There must be something in here. He went to one knee in front of his goodie box so he could stick his head and shoulders into the infinite depths. Bastos, what do I do? Don't leave me here with it. Relax, miss, he said from the depths. We have four, maybe even five minutes before it consumes us and everything in the underworld. It's a black hole, you know, tricky things. Only seen one once and that got busted up by Mr. Silence. Not sure. He stuck his whole torso deeper into the box. Less talking and more magic, please, Spring shouted at him. He ignored her. Rama's star crystal? That already has a universe in it. Maybe one of the great Maya crowns? That's for holding someone's internal universe. That won't do. Expansion, expansion. What do I have that contracts? Reflects? Oh, there we go. He snatched a handful of tacks from the box's shelves. This will do nicely. We can just solidify it somehow. He popped his head out of the box. Two or three feet in front of Spring was a beautiful golden crystal. It was a dahlia in full bloom, reflecting the black hole an infinite number of times in its petals, making it look like seeds rippling in and out of itself. Bastos let out a long whistle. Nicely done, miss. Lovely little containment and mutual binding spell you came up with there. He shuffled to the flower and tapped it to hear a clear bell ring that told him the spell was strong and sound. He nodded in approval. That's mighty pretty. Will it hold? She asked him. She looked like she was under a lot of strain. And he felt a little moment of pity for such a strong goddess trapped in a mortal mind. Such a shame. Oh well. He limped over to her. I really don't want to do this again, she said. No, miss, he said. You just slowed it down, but this might help. He held up the tacks so she could see them. I made these for a friend a few years ago. He has a bit of a problem with leaking magic sometimes, so these little babies are designed to reflect everything right back to where it came from. I bet that will stop this little beast from eating your pretty flower. It will eat itself and save us the trouble of destroying it. Great. Wonderful. Can you please finish it? This makes me super nervous over here. He laughed and slowly moved to get his hammer. Nah, miss, you have it tucked up nice and neat. I'm just putting on the finishing touch. It's a good spell. No worries. He limped close to the dahlia to take a look at it from all angles. He tapped its side to listen for the strong ring that would tell him where the weak points were and where he could fit the reflecting spell into Spring's containment. He tapped again just to be sure and then confidently dropped each tack into place with a small flourish. Each time, he let the magic and power resonate in him and ring through the spells, uniting them. The usual rush of satisfaction and happiness accompanied it, and he felt himself smiling. This was his favorite part. When a spell came together like this, all harmony and peace, he closed his eyes to savor it for just a moment. When he opened them and he saw Spring looking at them, he beamed at her and plucked the now tiny seedling out of the air to drop it into her hands. A souvenir for a job well done. She smiled back, looking at it with a little bit of awe. Phaestos, do you... Well, is that how magic feels for you all the time? That joy? Mm-hmm, he nodded. No wonder you're so happy all the time. He patted her hands. 
Magic is a joy. You don't need books to cast yours. You'll figure it out. He looked down at her jewel. I think that's a wonderful spell for the blessing. I think I memorized the pattern. You don't have to worry. I'll make sure to put it on the new set. She coughed. And a healing spell? I can um I can I can do that one already. Can can we put a couple on it? Of course, miss. It's magic. You can do whatever you want. Smiled at her. There are only consequences, no bad spells. I'll make up the set, you get ready to cast. I know silence will love this year's set. Vesta stretched in his bed. He liked it in this part of the crossroads. It was the oldest and quietest part, and closest to thunder, whispered some traitor in his head. Shut up, he told it firmly. Go away. Masters are fine. They go, do a little binding, come back, and we all get drunk. It's a good time. Some niggling doubt was tickling his brain. The masters had been gone for a while. Felt like a long while. But he didn't really know what they did or why only they could do it. Elfsinian was a great work, not for someone like him. He got up and went to the window. It looked out over the city. Elfsinian lights and festivities were going on, just like at Mydicus. He usually went home right about now. Aetna opened the gate to the Rainbow Bridge every year, and the parties were legendary. Crossroads seemed a little tame, or at least a little more melancholy in, in comparison. Maybe because their master is not a drunken degenerate man-whore, he thought uncharitably. Thunder was infamous for making those parties infinitely more sinful. Man has no restraint, he thought savagely, and tried to pretend that he wasn't just a little envious of all the women that got to spend quality time with their master. When... He sighed. Well, at least I'm loyal. Never even looked at anyone else. I guess it's my bad luck to have... To have... Fallen for a straight, emotionally unavailable, immature, power-hungry, egoist narcissist. In retrospect, there were better choices. At least I can recognize that I'm obsessed with a man that will never look at me. He sighed. He was depressing himself again. There was a disconcerting rumble. He clutched the windowsill as another one started, and then another. He could hear screaming from somewhere in the house. Great rents opened up in the earth around the house, and he could see people falling and running. Another shutter split the window, shattering glass over him. Victor materialized to tug on his thumb, pulling him towards the door. Another quake threw him to one side and made him go to one knee, but Victor kept pulling on him. Yes, yes, I'm following, I'm following. His insides were knotted as they made their way to the main courtyard. Great founts of water spewed up in the damage, quickly controlled by an anonymous water mage. Another damped fires. Several earths tried to hold the house together as Phaestos passed by them, Victor steadily pulling him near a fountain off the courtyard. Slumped next to it was Thunder. Phaestos tried to shuffle into a run, but immediately stopped and instead hopped or staggered as fast as he could. The master was covered in blood. His head lolled back and forth, and he was clutching his guts as if they were going to fall out. Phaestos went to a knee. Master? Master Thunder? 
Please, tell me where it hurts. I'll try... Thunder started to laugh, spraying blood over both of them, wiping it from his lips absently. Don't worry, your pretty little head about it, Red. Face was saw, Thunder's midsection was a bloody mass of entrails and carved meat. I can't die. Elysia knows they've tried to kill me with worse. Thunder seemed delirious, laughing even harder. Well, I'm still here, Anka. Still fucking surviving. Can't die. Can't live. This is what you wanted, right? He had raised a fist up to the ceiling, and Faistos followed the look at the great black cavern above them. As if he would see or whatever it was Thunder was shouting at. It looked like the Earth Mage I had managed to stabilize it quite a bit, he was happy to see. He helped Thunder lower his fist since he seemed to have gotten it stuck upraised and was now just blankly staring at it in the dark. It's always like this, you know, he said as face was tucked his arm back over his si insides. It hurts. It hurts like this all the time. You know, everyone thinks power is so good, you know? Faistos didn't bother to answer. He whispered a little request to Victor, who obligingly seared some of Thunder's worst wounds closed before shifting between planes to get help. Seriously, right? Like, everybody wants to be a master, but why, you know? Yes, master. Can you walk at all? I don't think I can lift you or get you. I just wanted to die. I was 15 fucking years old when they drafted me, Red. 15. Do you know what they did to me? I don't even know what they did to me. He seemed to mutter to himself and couldn't seem to feel that Phaistos was trying to lay him out so he could dress wounds. Phaistos grabbed a little earth goblin to request a first aid kit or anything and wasn't really listening, but Thunder kept talking. Fifteen, and those fuckers took a look at me and just saw power. I a soldier. Saw me as a little child soldier. You call the lightning. That's all I am to everybody. That's what everybody sees, you know. Keep talking about training like it'll fix anything. Fucking Sky King. Power doesn't fix it, you understand? Why are you here? Just leave me to die. He let go of faces. But fuck, I can't die. I want to die, and I can't. All I have is pain and that goddamn that damn Sky King bullshit title. Go away. This is my chance. Maybe the spells will fail this time. Maybe I'll get to stay dead. Phaistos didn't understand and was getting a little tired of Thunders fighting him. He stretched the big man out on the ground and slapped his face lightly. Master, just stop. 
Let me take care of you. Thunder tried to push him away, but was too weak. Bastos put his arms back down near his sides. He could see the wounds stitching back together, stitching themselves back together slowly. Immortal indeed, thanked the dreamer. But Thunder wasn't done talking. You know, all I wanted was to feel safe somewhere. Just, just once, you know? But no, I was always the powerful one. It was, it was always my job. You know, power. That's all anybody ever sees. I see you, said Bastos absently, not really expecting Thunder to actually hear him. I think you're an immature narcissist with the personality of a honey badger. There was a pause as Thunder stared at him and then burst out laughing. Bits of his stomach opened up again in great red streaks. Most of his clothes seemed to have been burned or torn off, though Thunder obviously couldn't feel anything. Or if he did, he was so used to it he didn't notice anymore. A honey badger? Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Red, you're all right, you know. I'd totally fuck you just for that comment. I appreciate that about you, and I know you want me to. He closed his eyes as if savoring something. Every time I come near you, I can just feel all that pent-up need, you know? It's great. Bastos rolled his eyes. I'm so happy I amuse you, my lord. Now be a lamb and shut up until Naomi can come for you. Thunder stopped laughing. Naomi? Who the fuck called Naomi? I did, master. I sent a messenger to her, and I think she or someone in Mydicus can still open a gate for you. Thunder started to struggle, spewing blood and spittle everywhere. Nope. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going back. I don't want to go back. Please don't make me go back. Bastos leaned on his shoulder, shocked at how weak the Sky King was. Stop that. Naomi's going to take care of you. You have to go home. You have to recover. Do you want the whole city to die? Thunder was quiet. To Bastos' shock, silent tears of the deepest despair he'd ever felt rolled down Thunder's bleak expression. Why can't I just die? He whispered. Oh, Thunder. Bastos said, gently holding his head. Please. At that moment, the rift seared into white light, and Naomi fell through with one of the university mages. Phaestos, thank goodness. Naomi, he said pleasantly, a little nonplussed with seeing her in full healer mode and exchanging pleasantries while covered in his master's blood. Master's done a bit of a deal to himself, as you can see. She nodded. We came as quickly as we could. She turned to the stranger mage. Help lift him. We'll get him through the portal. Bastos, are you coming? She stood, offering him a hand. Yes, ma'am. I'll need my tools and some things at some point. She waved off that detail. Of course, we'll send one of the students down here for everything. Don't worry. Come along. She shook her head in disappointment at Thunder, who was back to ranting and waving his arms erratically. If he wasn't the strongest thing in Twelve Plains, we'd just let him die down here. Jackass. It startled him. But, Naomi, you like Thunder. 
Of course I like him. It doesn't mean he isn't a gigantic pain in my ass. Now get in that rift and help me get his majesty reasonably sane before Midicus crumbles into the sea and Etna blows itself apart. Yes, ma'am, he said, guiltily relieved that he wouldn't have to deal with Thunder alone anymore. Too much pain for him to deal with. There are obviously players there that a healer should definitely look at first. Thunder woke up in a mood. Everything hurt. His head hurt, his legs hurt. His chest felt like someone had poured acid on it and left it for a week. He looked down. Most of it was healing nicely, red and puckered. He groaned and rolled over to throw up on the floor next to the bed. Naomi! He shouted into the half-light of the room. Naomi, I'm still alive! Come get me! He twisted himself back onto the bed. Naomi, it hurts! Where are you? He threw an arm over his eyes. Naomi! Naomi! The door opened. He stole a quick glance and tried to look pathetic. Oh, it hurts. It hurts so much. He laid it on a little thicker to convince her to move faster toward the bed. She didn't buy it. Oh, shut up, she said, glancing at the sick near the headboard. I know you're fine. You don't even need a healer. But I want one, he said pitifully. It still hurts. Come fix me. She gave him a droll look, but he still caught the whisper of green scent like rain on the undergrowth that was his deepest pleasure in life. A true healing was a rare and precious thing, and he craved it like a drug. He closed his eyes to savor what came next, and Naomi didn't disappoint. Her little brown hands touched his shoulders, and the wash of green scent flowed over him. For just a moment, the world was bright and sparkly, a fountain of living rain inside and out, making taste sharper, smell keener, touch and sensation like the most exquisite of tortures. Joy and life tasted sweet as she purified him inside and out. He knew it would only last for this moment, and then his corpse of a body would warp and twist the magic back into whatever abomination he was. But for now, for a second in time, he felt almost human again. He inhaled as deeply as he could, as if he could trap the sensations in his lungs, but no. Gradually, the color seeped out. The sensation died. The world was once again scentless, gray, and empty. He opened his eyes. The room was full of morning light. His bedroom faced full east to greet the rising sun, high above the clouds. He never closed the great doors that led out onto the balcony overlooking Mytikus, but he preferred to see it at night. The light hurt his eyes. Good morning, my lord. You seem suitably annoying this morning. Can I assume that you're feeling better? He dragged himself up to sit and lolled his head back and forth. The red, angry streaks around his middle had faded into the usual old scars, and he slouched, puffing out his stomach to make himself look fat and shapeless. His perfectly sculpted, dead body was profoundly disgusting to him this morning. He grunted at Naomi. Use your words, my lord. She smacked him lightly in the back of the head. And you're cleaning that up. He looked at the sick and then back at her. I hate this. She sat on the bed wearing her best healer face, the one he hated most of all. Nothing but pity and that weird, careful, expressionless face that made him want to punch something. What do you hate, master? Nothing. Never mind. He grumbled, rooting around under the bed for something to wear. I'm going to go work out. Right now? Yes. But don't you want to check on... 
Silence can take care of himself and anything else. He's fine. I'm sure Hurricane can take care of anything. Silence can't kill. Something soft touched his fingertips, so he pulled it on to reveal one of the half dozen or so black t-shirts littering the room. Crossroads is fine. Everyone is fine. No one needs anything, and even if they did, they'd send a messenger for me or something. Pants, he said, standing up to search more easily. I need pants. Naomi tossed him sweatpants that smelled like corn chips. You should take a nap in a shower, she said, wrinkling her nose. Your last pair of jeans got torn up last night in the excitement. You cut them off me again, you mean, he grunted at her. Then go buy me more. Isn't that what servants do? She raised an eyebrow at him. I know you are just baiting me because you are in a pissy mood after having your insides ripped out again, so I won't dignify that with a response. She stuck out her chin a little as she pivoted out the door. If you clean up your room and you don't insult anyone today, I will consider, consider, mind you, buying you pants. He didn't bother to look at her or acknowledge her, but he did grab one of the more disgusting t-shirts to clean up the vomit congealing on the stone floor and rinse the whole mess in the bathroom before going to his workroom. I'll do the laundry later, he thought, appreciating the cold stone on his bare feet as he made his way deeper into the great house. Mydicus, the house was lovely, genuinely beautiful, or rather, it had been before thunder. Designed and built by one of the greatest air masters the world had ever seen, the dreamer, a figure so dusted with legends and half-truths that he or she, stories differed, was now closer to a deity than the original master. Dreamer started the university, built the great city on magic and politics, helped shape the first civilizations of the waking world. A whole field of magic was even named for him. And the house reflected it. House reflected that legacy. Ancient white stone everywhere, falling crystals instead of windows, endlessly shifting in the air. Currents throwing shimmering rainbows along white walls during the day and silver teardrops of beautiful shapes and patterns at night. Graceful sweeping arches through rooms of libraries, forges, portals, all in different colors of stone and decoration. Some from Greece, Morocco, Russia, Colombia. How about... Patterns from mortal and fey cultures did over generations of travels. Greenhouses of exotic plants, all now gone to pot or left to run wild. There used to be dozens of elementals running the house, dozens of the brightest students learning here, but not now. Now, Dreamer was long gone and the city was held together with thunder. He looked at his hands and felt a moment of deep revulsion. I should not be here. This is Dreamer's city, never mind. He was a stranger in his own house, in every room except for this one, in the heart of the house, deep in the bowels of what must have been a cellar or Earthmaster's workroom. There was a giant, circular, claustrophobic dark room. Lined in old wood that smelled like wine and warm cedar, the walls had been stripped down to rough granite, gray, brown, and red. The ceiling closed in, too close for comfort. The only room in the house not covered in light and air. This was his room, his special place. 
where he came to feel most like himself. He took a deep breath of the musty, heavy air and immediately felt more settled, more solid somehow. Don't break anything this time, he heard Naomi shout at him from one of the upper levels. We don't have any more carpenters or stonemasons who will come here if you punch a hole in the wall again. He thought about answering her, but just slammed the door instead. The darkness closed in on him. He let it, taking a breath and interlacing his fingers in his favorite pattern to flick tiny starbursts of pointed light at the edges of the great room. Fake starlight. It gave him a little ironic smile to think of the Sky King being agoraphobic and preferring to make a fake sky in a basement. Face the awful reality of the real one. Oh, the stupidity of it all, he thought. Would the people still call me that garbage nickname if they knew all these little details? I think not. He went to a small box decorated with crossed lightning bolts to take out a set of boxing wraps to bind his hands so he wouldn't punch a hole in the wall and slammed his fists together to make sure no sparks lit up. He felt like just beating something. No magic, no control, just physical. So he pulled the cord near the door to drop a giant heavy bag from the ceiling. Supports Phaestos had made for it, although he hadn't known it was thunder ordering it. 700 pounds lined in metal thread and filled with magnesium sand that would explode if any electricity got through. Great for control. Thank God for small favors. Small favors and faceless. Now let's see what music I left down here last time and how loud I can get it before Naomi throws a fit. Faistos stumbled a little as the house shook and a deep driving rhythm with words from some music he couldn't understand seemed to increase in volume with each vibration. He glanced at Naomi. She rolled her eyes. The house was shaking in set patterns now that matched the music and seemed to be originating from directly under the greenhouse. Is that him? He asked, almost in awe as the music got still louder. What is he doing? Ugh, don't get me started. She leaned into one of the fruit trees to bring it back to life and sighed. He's in a snit because he's in pain, so of course, what does he do? Goes and beats himself into oblivion again. There was a brief moment of silence as the music switched again. He could start to make out words, but this was slower, more powerful. The house shuddered three times in succession to the base, and he could keep the beat by the trembling of the plants as he helped Naomi tend the garden. What is he even hitting? How is the house still standing? Naomi laughed and trimmed one of the vegetable plants. He couldn't keep track of what kind it was. Pretty, but they were all pretty to him. Oh, you should see the monstrosity he has down there. Giant punching bag filled with explosive sand. What? The description caught his attention. I built something just like that. Yep, he, she nodded. He lied to you. Said it was for a fire containment. Didn't want you to know that he was buying it. Made up all kinds of elaborate nonsense to have a merchant from one of the schools buy it for him. She chuckled. You should have seen him try and get it set up in the basement. Stupid man couldn't even lift it. We had to hire one of the earths to come up and reinforce the whole room. Phaistos blinked. He remembered building that particular piece, remembered that it seemed hideously oversized for anything but a raging phoenix. He's punching it? He steadied himself on the wall again as the house heaved itself from side to side in a new rhythm. 
If anything electric gets through the metal covering, the whole thing will explode. He knows that, right? Yes, he knows. She looked grim. I can't tell if he's hoping to make a mistake or working on control. She saw his concerns. His concern. He does wrap his hands so he can't cast during his workouts. There was a sound like tearing metal. They both waited a minute to see if anything loud followed it. Theoretically, at least, the music got louder. Hip-hop, maybe? Faceless wasn't very familiar with human music, but this seemed like an angry kind. Primal. He shivered a little, remembering the ruined mass of flesh that Thunder had been last night, and now he's bringing down the house. Literally. That tears it. That big numbskull is going to rip the house apart. Thunder! She screamed, quick stepping towards the stairs leading down to the bottom depths. Thunder! Turn the dreamer-blessed music down! What are you trying to do to us? She disappeared into the maze of rooms. Bastos ran his hands along the archway of the conservatory, feeling the weakness of the building in its skeleton and gently reinforcing it, running his magic through the steel, easing the fatigue and lining up the crystals into a stronger formation. He had just come to help the mages stabilize the city when Thunder was unconscious. His magic was strong, but not strong enough to last full unconsciousness or death. Somebody had to keep the city above the clouds. And don't lie to yourself, he scolded himself. You just wanted to make sure he woke up this morning. Not like he could help that much anyway. He turned his face to the light, letting it wash over him. He loved it in the city. He felt like he could breathe up here, free from the world below. Ironic, considering one of his mistakes had thrown him down the mountain from the same university he thought was so pretty to look at. But maybe just from a distance, he thought, smiling to himself. Besides, Mytikus was about the only place he could comfortably travel to with his busted legs, so it's a good thing I enjoy coming up here so much. The music cut off abruptly and there was the sound of two slammed doors in succession. Naomi stormed back into the greenhouse. How'd it go? he asked mildly. Immature, condescending, brutal, savage. I'm quitting this time. Absolutely quitting. I know I say that every time, but he's such an ass little brother. I don't know why you have such a thing for him. Please don't say that out loud, Naomi, he muttered. I'd be very much obliged if you'd just keep it to yourself. She grabbed his hand, dragging him back into the house. Oh, relax. Everyone knows already. He gagged a little and tried to skip to catch up with her. Maybe not everyone? She stopped. Well, Mother probably doesn't know, but that's because she's an idiot, not because you're subtle. He groaned. Naomi, I shouldn't even come. I just, well... You just wanted to make sure he was all right. I know. Come shopping with me before you go home. Shopping? For what? Pants, for his highness, among other things. Minnie wanted a new set of pals to practice on, too. She broke the last set you made. She broke them? How in the seven hells did she do that? What did she hit them with, a meteor? He was genuinely impressed. He'd built those as a set of targets for her in Ocean last summer, and he'd thought that he'd built them to last. Maybe. She was probably doing one of her experiments. You'll have to ask her, huh? Besides, I hear that one of the great real metal dragons is at the market today, doing a demonstration. We'll stop by. A real? I'd love to see a metal real. I know. I know. Hurry up, brother. I know you can walk faster than that since I did your healing. He sighed. Naomi, I am not crippled just to annoy you. You know that, right? She tweaked his nose. 
I know, but it's so nice to be around someone good-natured for a change that I just can't help myself. Cheer me up. Buy me something pretty that makes me feel girly. I could just make you something. He coughed at her expression. Right. No fun in that, I suppose. She linked her arm through his. Good boy. Let's go shopping for your boyfriend and cheer me up by making your life miserable. That's what brothers are for. Half brothers, he said, as if it mattered. I should get half the grief for half the jeans. She jabbed him in the arm. Shh, I covered for you at our last obligatory mother luncheon, and I got to hear all about my terrible life choices and how mother is so worried that you haven't gotten married yet and that you're wasting your life with this merchant business. That's what she actually said. She called your magic merchant business. Isn't that ridiculous? I could almost feel the elitism oozing off of her perfect pores, and she kept saying that if I continue as a city manager, no man is going to want me, and I'll die alone, or worse, live for a thousand years as an old maid. Then she told me how she knew a water mage who had figured out how to layer illusion spells on actual bodies so that I wouldn't look so, quote-unquote, animal, as if my being a fawn offended her. I didn't choose my genes, after all. Just because she wanted to shack up with a fay, I shouldn't have to be punished for having hooves. She is the worst, just the worst, and I covered for you. She doesn't even know you're gay because I'm such a good sister. So be a lamb and indulge me. This is my day for entertaining. We'll let the king jackass stew in his own mood for a while and we'll go out for something to do. What about the crossroads? Silence and the others, he asked. Shouldn't we? Naomi shrugged. They'll call if they need us. Honestly, silence could probably handle it on her own. I know Sky Derp up there thinks he's the most powerful thing around, but silence definitely has him beat. Still... Relax, brother. Thunder is fine. He'll handle anything that comes up. We can certainly afford one day in the city. The world isn't going to end or anything, and you owe me. Per norm, as soon as they reached the market, Naomi promptly abandoned him. For 3,000 years, Mydicus had been home to the greatest trade and ideas and stuff the world had ever seen. Travelers from all planes came here happily to see and be seen in the city of light, and the market was the hub. Bezos never ceased to be impressed, Naomi disappeared towards the green sector where earth and water sentience collected, mostly food, drink, plants, parties, good time for mellow people. At this gate, the fire gate, there was the usual screaming and clashing noises, loud explosions as gladiators showed off. Fireworks were lit for random sales and there was the deep, steady hum of machines that made his ears ring. He took a big breath to appreciate the feel of smoke and manufacturing smells in the air. Victor swirled around him in excitement, and he leaned his cheek against the salamander. Yes, I like it too. Let's go see if Minnie's around. There was a burst of purple light from the fire creature as Phaestos set off into the melee. Packed. Just packed. The narrow, curving streets were busier than usual. Nothing but noise and people around them. Minnie's compound was on the far edge of the fire quadrant, in her own city island, her home was so large it took up the whole pavilion. She'd ringed it in her own walls, built out of wood and metal, standing like a palisade of art, a spoked wheel with her house at the center. Many roads led to Minnie's, and her place was popular today. Fighters, academics, teachers, idiots, everyone came to Minnie for answers to questions, for her library, for her excellent practice grounds and gardens, and she only taught the best of the best. It was quite a coup to get time with Minnie. Fortunately, she had a soft spot for him. He had to crane his neck up to look at the great stone lion that guarded this particular entrance to Minnie's. Hello, Eula. Is Minnie home? He smiled at her. 
Faisto Smith? Eula's neck and paws puffed out small dust devils as she knelt down to get a better look at him. You have not visited for a long time. I know, busy, but after yesterday, I thought I would check in. He looked around. The house seems to be in good shape, nothing broken. Nothing of importance. Mistress held most of the city when the great spell shook. Have you been to Master Thunder yet? Me? Oh, no, that's for my sister. I just make the parts. He held up his work bag. And maybe help clean up. I do have a puzzle for the mistress today, if she's available. A puzzle? Eula exhaled and blew back Faistos's hair in a cloud of sand from her huge nostrils. I love puzzles. She nosed at the bag. Smells like metal and maybe something else. He pulled out the blue-purple ore that his metal pretty had gotten for him. A new metal and something else, something cold and empty, but very, very beautiful. Do you know what it is? Eula inhaled, and Phaistos had to brace himself against her face to avoid getting sucked up in the wind, but she shook her great head, surprisingly quiet for all that stone moving together. Minnie does such nice work, he thought admiringly. A true artist. I do not, Phaistos Smith. Mistress will have to help you. He smiled at her and patted her gigantic nose, remembering something. He never liked to leave someone empty-handed. Ah, stay here, Eula. Hold still. He dug in his bag for the brass chain that he'd been working on to re refit one of Thunder's water system pulleys. It hadn't fit, and Naomi had gotten an earth to fix it anyway, but the chain would be a beautiful collar for Eula. He unrolled it and tossed it end over her great neck catching it and lengthening it with his mind so that it was more delicate, more fluid, and inlaid into the stone creature's form, moving her head from one side to the other as he closed the clasp in the shape of interlocking arrows at the base of her mane. Quite pretty. What do you think? Would you like to keep it? He called four points of flame into the air, drew them together to create a mirror of plasma for her to look at herself. Oh yes, very nice. She preened a little. It's much better than the earring you gave Li Chao last year. Her sister lion at the other side of the gate glared at them both and faced was coughed a little in discomfort, ducking his head away from Li Chao's ire. But both of them rose and moved to position to open the gates for him. He chuckled as she reared up on her back paws and worked with her sister to reveal the wonders of Minnie's house beyond the palisade. It always impressed him to see what changes had happened and the incredibly incredible quality of work Minnie and Minnie's students did here. Would you still let me in if I didn't bring you presents? She dropped back down onto all fours and the pavilion trembled slightly. Perhaps you can find out next time if you are feeling brave, teacher. Mistress is expecting you in the gardens. Perhaps I will not risk it next time, he said, patting her elbow as he slowly edged past. Thank you, ma'am. He stepped through the door and felt the stone slide back into place behind him. Obviously, Minnie didn't have much faith in Thunder being able to hold the city by himself either. Not if she's made this place basically autonomous. Victor slithered up on his arms to sit on his shoulder expectantly. And he was not disappointed. New machines drifted here and there as university students tested out new monstrosities of magic and energy. Artificers took up booths along all sides of the streets and walls. Every square inch was packed with curiosity and invention, at least in the outer ring. The gardens were almost two kilometers away in the inner ring, but fortunately, he was prepared. 
A little adolescent fawn popped up almost immediately with a pedicab. Teacher, mistress says you need a ride. He seemed very proud of the bicycle. I promise I can get you there in ten minutes, even with all the traffic. Faceless didn't want to disappoint the boy, so he let his own transport method slip back into the metal plane with just a tinge of regret. It's always too hard to explain to people that I don't need their help when they are so earnestly trying to give it. But he smiled and dragged himself up into the cab. How can I say no? To the gardens, please, good sir. Minnie was something special. Everyone liked her and respected her. For good reason. If she wasn't so obviously devoted to her significant other, people would probably be breaking down her beautiful walls to woo her. Even Phaistos might have had just the tiniest of crushes on Minnie. Who wouldn't, after all? The pedicab swooped through the throng, deftly avoiding flying toys and random magical explosions, past the library and student quarters, past the fighters and martial sectors, and came to a hard stop at the inner ring, where sudden quiet and calmness was in sharp juxtaposition to the rest of the enclave. Here you are, sir. He paused expectantly for a tip. Phaistos had to come up with something good, for here, at Minnie's, you didn't pay people with money. What's your specialty, young one? He asked, rifling through his bag for something applicable. Metal, mostly, a little storm. Phaistos looked at him in surprise. That's an unusual pairing. He looked more closely at him. Is that how you knew who I was? The boy nodded. You won't remember, but I was at your basic class for metalworking two years ago. Hmm. What are the six basic types of metal manipulation possible? With an elemental assist or without? Without. The boy closed his eyes. Marking, cutting, drilling, cutting internal and external threads, filling and joining. He opened his eyes. Good, right? Faisal smiled at him. Very good. I don't see a gin with you. Have you called your first elemental yet? No, sir, said the boy. Everyone says that metal is hard to handle and that I shouldn't call without a master. Faceless climbed down from the cab gingerly and dug in his bag for a set of tongs. It's good advice. He drew a circle on the ground, placing Victor on its edge. Immediately, flames speared up in red and blue. Faceless closed his fist, dipping it into the melted rock underneath the circle until bits of iron floated to the top in a sheen of gray on the red. He motioned to the boy to come closer. Do you remember how to call? The boy nodded and closed his eyes. Immediately, Phaistos felt the telltale tremble of a plane shift in the melted circle and dozens of little minds popping into existence, though nothing happened on the material plane. The boy looked disappointed and was about to retract his hand, but Phaistos caught it. Nope. Are you ready? The boy blinked as Phaistos dipped both their hands into the molten rock. If the boy failed and panicked, Phaistos could pull him out without harm, if the boy was not worth an elemental's time, either because of laziness or bad nature, the elementals wouldn't come. Neither of those things happened. Instead, one shy mind seemed to separate from the others and a tiny horse-like form coalesced in from the melted slag. It was only about the size of their fists, but it definitely separated and stood next to the kneeling boy. Phaistos drew the hands out and let the circle freeze. If the little thing got scared and ran, Victor could send him home without too much fuss, but he rather thought this was going to work out. Near him, something said in his head. The boy didn't do anything. Can you hear him? Phaistos asked quietly. Metal got spooked easily, especially if it had never bonded before. He says his name is Nirum. The boy shook his head, still wrapped up in the wonder of actually seeing his very first elemental. 
Bestos leaned close to the boy's head and rapped him sharply on the temple with the tongs. It rang like a bell, and the boy's got, eyes got big, as if he could hear the metal for the first time. Near him, he said, breathing out. Oh, wow. Excitement and joy radiated from him as he looked back to Festus. Near him! I can hear him! The figure flinched, and immediately the boy dropped his tone and opened his hands for the little thing to get cradled in. Give him some heat, Festus said, covering the boy's hand with his own and flooding warmth through them with fire. Metal always feels better when there's a little fire around. The boy imitated it, and Festos nodded approvingly. Good. Thanks for the ride, young one. He called Victor out of the circle and moved into the greater gardens, appreciating the smells of green growing things and the tinkle of water coming from somewhere. You know, said a voice from behind him, that you have ruined that child for any sort of normal learning now. Any teacher that can't call an elemental out of thin air with a thought is going to be a huge disappointment to him. He turned, holding out his hands for Minnie. She took them and pulled him in for a hug. Ah, I've missed you, big sister. Hush, Naomi will hear you and then sulk for a week that you like me better than her. But I do. Please don't tell her, though. She'll kill me. He broke the hug to take her in. You look amazing, as usual. Your stunning self, as always. <sighs> Nonsense. But it was true. Six feet of lithe, slender strength. Tough hands that could wield any weapon in the armory, build a house, carve a statue, were tied to elegant shoulders, scarred from wearing armor in a thousand different wars on as many foreign shores. She wore loose pants under a red tunic tied with a golden sash and soft boots that laced up to her knees. Her only concession to peace was a complex of intricately braided, thick, jet-black hair that cascaded down her back. I like the hair, he said approvingly. It looks great. She chuckled and patted it a little self-consciously. I do too, actually. Completely useless for doing anything productive with one's time, but very pretty. She didn't say it, so he said it for her. It was for Moon, wasn't it? She shrugged. She still won't talk to me, or wake up, really. Not much we can do about that, huh? Ah, Minnie, I'm so sorry. Nothing for it, I'm afraid. Everyone except Spring has been there to try and heal her, and still nothing. She paused for a minute, looking for something in her mind. It's like she doesn't want to come back. He coughed a little. I mean, I could talk to Mother if you think it would help. Minnie threw her head back and laughed wholeheartedly. Bastos felt sheepish. Well, I mean, she is a healer, technically, I suppose. That made Minnie laugh harder, and she slapped one big hand on his shoulder to keep her standing. I mean, maybe healer is a strong word. Minnie wiped her eyes. Healer. Your mother a healer? Ugh, oh, sociopath, more like it. She's still trying to hook you up with women? Yes, he said, sighing. It's just constant. She never liked me anyway, and now for some reason, anytime I see her, she just throws girls at me. Hundreds of years of being ignored, and now somehow she's decided that being a mother means matchmaking. With the wrong gender. Minnie dropped her hands to her knees again in laughter. Oh, sure, laugh it up. The one she keeps trying to get me interested in is you. At this point, Minnie had to go to one knee and was clutching Faceless's good side as if it was a lifeline. 
seriously, the last time I saw her, she kept trying to see if you and I were dating because you were the only woman she'd seen me with, other than Naomi, in about 300 years. She went on and on about how you and we should just get it over with and get married. Minnie cut him off with howls of laughter. Absolutely oblivious to the fact that I don't like girls and you don't like boys made no difference to her. It was like the thought was literally impossible for her to understand. And it's not like it's a secret that there's no one but Moon for you. He said that last a little quieter, with a little bit of envy mixed into the sadness. I'm so sorry, Minnie. She wiped her eyes again and stood up. Oh, it's fine. Moon will wake up when she's ready, I hope. And maybe she'll be ready to talk to me again when she does. Until then, nothing much we can do. Ah, yes. About that. Bastos dug in his bag. I actually had an idea for that. And a mystery for you. He pulled out the mystery oar and handed it to her. It shimmered against her dark skin, and something almost material seemed to flash when she touched it, but it was too quick for Phaestos. But Minnie breathed out, as if she recognized something. Void, she said. This is death magic. Where did you find this? I'm not sure, Phaestos said, taking it back from her. But I remembered you saying that Moon was Shadow, right? She has the same gift as Silence? Not quite. Silence is more Earth. Moon is something else. Phaestos nodded. I thought so. I thought this might be a way to communicate with her. Talk to her in her dreams. Minnie blinked. You're going to make her a dream catcher? He nodded. She took the oar back from him. Oh, that's interesting. Very interesting. If she won't come to us, we go to her, huh? I thought maybe you'd like to help, or at least you might give me an idea of how to work this. He tapped the oar better for her. Hmm, I'm better with physical things, not magic-y creations like this, she said, her eyes still fixed on the material. I don't think I can work with something so far from my own plane anyway. She stared deeply at the rock before handing it back. Fire and air is a poor match for whatever this is, but it does feel like her, somehow. I was thinking a crown, he offered, taking the ore back, but I'd have to physically put it on her since she's not in the material plane anymore. A crown? Minnie smiled. She'd hate that. You should absolutely make it for her. She sighed. I don't know where she is. She's hidden herself somewhere far from where I can see her. Her real self, anyway. She tapped her forehead. And I can see very far on the wings of the wind. Still, nothing. She has to be somewhere on the shadow plane. That's the only place she knows I can't go. Bezos shook his head. What is it with void magic that hurts the user so much? Silence hasn't been the same since spring left. She's a basket case at crossroads even now. Hyperion has been locked up since forever after going insane. Is there something in shadow magic that just eats people from the inside out? Maybe, Minnie said, stretching her arms up into the sun and letting out a relieved sigh. But insanity knows all planes. Just look at thunder, air and storm, and he's going to bits the same as the rest of them. She motioned to Phaestus to follow as she moved towards one of the domes overlooking the garden lake. I won't make you walk, Phaestus, but come play a game of go with me so we can talk about your lover in peace. Phaestus groaned. Does literally everyone know how I feel? Yes, dear, you have a face incapable of lying, and Thunder and I have fought many, 
many times. He's an ass, but still has a good heart, somewhere. She pulled out a chair for him in the sun and whispered something to a breezy air that came wafting past as she settled into the other seat to set up the board. You know, you should feel flattered. Kings and queens from all the lands beg me to teach them the wisdom of the board and show them my secrets. She gave him an evil smile with her very white teeth standing out starkly against her very dark brown face. She looked a little demonic. He put up his hands. I concede. Don't eat me. I promise you are going to win. She scowled at him. Don't give up so easily, Metal Heart. You're going to learn something today whether you like it or not. We have to get rid of your depressingly attentive need for others to be happy. Try to win sometimes. You don't have to assume that you're not a worthy opponent. He gave her a droll look. Against the goddess of wisdom and war. I think I'm definitely going to win. I think I'm definitely going to lose. She made a clicking sound of disapproval with her tongue. I'm going to help you, of course. Terrible attitude to have. She kicked him lightly. Have a spine. Try to fight me a little. It'll be good for you. You just like to eat your prey while it's still alive, he murmured. She smiled and placed the first token. Okay, so, so far, uh, some thoughts. Seems very wordy. Seems slow. Seems like the parts from Wind and Rain are not properly integrated into the full story. So there's like bits missing on either end of the Wind and Rain portions, the overlap portions. Um, but I don't want to add too much exposition because it's already really wordy. And no one will read it anyway, so I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so biggest takeaway, I think, is the lack of smooth transitions through the wind and rain uh, intersections. And maybe, maybe I'd like to add more from his mother. I feel like his mother is a good story that should go in there somewhere. But I don't want to waste the I don't want to waste the words on something that's not. Well, we'll put that on the back burner. Until next time. <laughs>